Well, good morning. I love that song. It really describes our life in Christ. All I have is Christ. My, Jesus is my life. Is that true of you this morning? We always need to come back to that and to remember we have leaky bucket minds and we need to remember that our whole lives are Christ's. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 1, reading through verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which, to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But they also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are ascended on high. That's where you're at right now, at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, you are head of this church. There's, this is the local manifestation of your church, and we thank you for it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you have equipped the church and how you are building your church, how you're helping this body to grow in maturity, to grow into the measure of the stature of your fullness. And Lord Jesus, we desire that this morning. We desire to grow in that way. Help every joint to work together to that end. Pray this body would build itself up, speaking the truth in love. 
dependent on your power, Lord Jesus, to build your church. Lord, we, we ask this morning for understanding as we come to your word and understanding what is the church's mission. What is the mission you have set out for the church? Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Help me to be helpful and clear and bless this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing on in our, our series on what is the church. That's kind of the global uh, umbrella uh, under which we're operating. We talked a few weeks ago about what is the church, and we define the church as the temple. It is in this era the local manifestation of the temple. And what is the temple? It's the concentrated manifestation of God's presence on earth. It's always been that, and it is that, that um, even in this age, as the church, as we gather together, each, each person, each member of the, the local church is a living stone brought into that local assembly, and they're also priests, right? So we talked about what is the church. It's the, the local temple, right? It's the way God's presence is manifested even to a watching world. The, when we gather together on a Sunday morning like we're doing right now, we are manifesting to the world around us God's presence, the Holy Spirit is here in the gathering in a way that is not otherwise seen in the world. And then we talked about who is the church. Who is the church? That's what we talked about last week. If, if we really are the, the local temple, the priesthood uh, that Christ has made through his death and resurrection, how do we know who's in the church? How do we know who's part of that temple? How do we know who's part of the priesthood. And, and we talked about the idea of the ordinances, the ordinances that, the, that Jesus has given us. Baptism, uh, baptism joins one to many. Uh, the baptism is that imagery of one dying to oneself, uh, being raised with Christ, being washed, being cleansed. And that person identifying with Christ in the waters of baptism and then the church also, by all that it can see, that saying that this is a disciple of Christ and joining that one into many in the local church. Then we talked about the Lord's Supper as, as that remembrance of Christ's death, right? The, the thing that makes us one body, the thing that makes us one church is Christ's death on the cross, right? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, what we are saying, and we're looking back to what Christ has done in the past, we're looking not only back to that, but we're also looking around us to see who are the people that Christ has purchased and brought into the local body? And we look ahead to when Christ will fulfill that meal in the new heavens and the new earth. But when we take the Lord's Supper, we're really uh, identifying who is the church, right? Where by the baptism joins one to many, the Lord's Supper makes many into one. It's, it's showing the boundaries of the local church. We also talked about church discipline and the issue of sanctification, right? If we are a priesthood, if we're a local temple, then we need to have holy lives, not only individually, but collectively. And we need to own the responsibility collectively to help each other live holy lives because the honor of Christ who has purchased us is at stake. And this morning, what we want to talk about is what is the mission of the church? Or another way to say that, what does the church do? we're a local temple and we're a local priesthood, and if we've identified who's, who's in the boat, so to speak, who's part of that local temple, who's part of the local priesthood, 
what do we do? What do we do uh, together? And really, the, the importance of that question, uh, we need to talk about this, right? It's, it's back to that same issue we've been talking about. Understanding who you are, you live out that identity. That's how the scriptures talk. Understanding, how do, you, how do you start to live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to God? Well, you first need to understand who you are, and that's what we've been focusing on. And out of that identity, you, you go to what you need to do. But why do we need to talk about the mission of the church? Well, here, here's the idea. It's, it's, it's really an issue of resources. It's really an issue of resources. It's an economics problem, and, and was one way to put it. There are many things that we could do as a local church. Um, if you look at other local churches or you look at other agencies, there's so many things that are, that are, uh, that are branded under the name of Christianity of things to do. We could uh, feed the poor. We could uh, provide housing for the homeless. We could, we could do all these things, and they're good things even. Uh, uh, is, is a lot of those things are good, but is, it's, there are so many things we could do, even good things, but what is our priority? What is our priority? See, if you understand what the mission of the church is and what we're supposed to be doing, that helps us make decisions about how do I spend time? How do we spend time? How do we spend money? Uh, we have limited resources of time and money. How do, we, how do we know what to pursue next? How do we know what to prioritize? Well, really to help us with that, we need to answer this question, what is the mission of the church? What does the church do? See, oftentimes even churches or local churches, they have mission statements, right? They have mission statements of some sort or another. Well, that's nice and it's helpful in a lot of ways, but reality is, is that Christ has already given a mission to the church. He's already given us a mission to fulfill, a mission statement. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two different passages that really answer, they're really getting at the same issue. They're really answering that question the same way, and yet they're just approaching it from two different angles. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at two separate passages. We're going to start with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And the answer that answers our question, what is the mission of the church this way? It says, make disciples. It says, make disciples. So go to Matthew 28. We've been quoting this actually several times in our series together, but we haven't just spent a little bit of time here. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And it answers our question, what is the mission of the church this way? Make disciples. That's what your job, that's what my job, that's what our job is as the mission of the church, to make disciples. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 28, and I'll start reading in verse 16, but we'll focus in on 18 through 20. Verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is how the book of Matthew ends. We're going to start a study in Matthew in a few weeks, but this is how it ends Spoiler alert, this is how it ends, but, but it, 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 it gives us the fundamental mission in very succinct terms of what we are to do during this era. This is what we're to do. This is our priority and what we're to focus on. And how does this work, right? You see in verse 18, 
Uh, we've quoted this verse the last few weeks as well, right? The reality is, is that Christ, he hasn't ascended yet, but he's about to ascend. And that, that, that through his death and through his resurrection, he has been proven and shown and seen and, uh, to, to be the true Messiah and the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is that son of man from Daniel 7. He currently, we talked about this when we talked about spheres of authority. He currently at the right hand of the father has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has the right over everyone and every institution on this earth. He has all authority. He has complete authority. And think about how he's using this here, though, right? That's true. How is he using it as he gives the, the church, the, begin, the very foundation, right, the apostles that are sitting there in front of him, how does this work to motivate, uh, to, 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 for their, their, their commission, their mission? It's motivation, isn't it? It's motivation, right? The highest authority in the universe has commissioned his church with a mission, Right? That gives weight to what Jesus is going to say. It gives motivation. It gives motivation. The king of all is giving a commission. Well, we better listen up, right? But it's not only that. It's not only the, 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 the freight, the weight of that commission coming from someone who has all authority in heaven and on earth, but it's also the idea of resources, right? If you know, it, it, you could think of someone who's uh, maybe a commanding officer or someone who commissions his troops on a mission, and it's a very difficult mission, and he stands back and he doesn't provide his troops with the resources, well, that mission's going to fail, isn't it? But this mission won't because it's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. He's backing the mission to provide the resources necessary to complete that mission. So that's how verse 18 functions here. It's motivation for the mission itself. So what is the mission itself? Well, that's, uh, that's indicated in verse 19 through the first part of verse 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now really, here's a little bit of grammar lesson for you. There's actually just one command here. You look at the original, there's only one command that is spoken, and that command is the mission of the church, and it's this command, make disciples of all nations. That is the one command that is, in a nutshell, the mission of the church, to make disciples. That's it. That's it, is to make disciples of all nations. The nations. Now, there's other things that go along with that, the going and the, the, the baptizing and the teaching. We'll talk about those in a second. But if someone was to stop you on the street and say, okay, you're a Christian. What do you do as a Christian? What are you all about? You would say, I make disciples. I make disciples of Christ. And that's what you would say, because that is the mission that each individual Christian and the church collectively is participating in to make disciples. Now, Okay, we use that language. It's a very Christian language, right? Make disciples. We throw that language around. We talk about discipleship. We talk about making disciples. We talk about evangelism. What does that actually mean, though, to make disciples? Well, and this is where Matthew is really helpful. I'm really excited to get into Matthew and see this play itself out. But Matthew, one of the things Matthew talks about a lot is discipleship. And it's this. What is it being a disciple? It, being a disciple is being a learner, a learner and follower of Christ. That's what a disciple is, a learner and a follower of Christ. 
you can think of the 12 original disciples, right? Jesus calls them, right? They, he calls them, follow me. And they leave everything and they follow him. And they, they, they follow him around the countryside, yes, but they're also, they're watching him, they're learning from him. You've got lots of teaching in Matthew, but it's, it's the teaching and the action together. It's living with Christ, it's following him, it's learning from him, it's learning him and, and, and doing what he wants, right? It's, it's allegiance, right? To be a disciple is your allegiance is to Christ. You are learning and following Christ. So when we talk about making disciples, what we're talking about is making followers and learners of Christ himself. The call of discipleship, Jesus issues many times throughout the gospel, but one of my favorite ways he issues it is Matthew 11, verse 28, right? If you think about how, what's the call of discipleship? How do you call people to discipleship? Well, Jesus says it this way in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, says this, come to me. All who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the call of discipleship? What is Jesus calling people to? He's calling, saying, come to me. When we call, when we issue the call of discipleship, when we evangelize, so a believer is a disciple and a disciple is a believer. There's no distinction between those two in the scriptures. A disciple is a believer, a believer is a disciple. It's one and the same. We are disciples of Christ. But when we call people, when we talk about making disciples of Christ, what are we calling them to? We're not merely calling them to know about Christ. We're not just saying, well, okay, you, you know that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. That, now, you have to believe that in order to be saved. You have to know those things. You have to agree to those things. But there's a lot of people that even agree mentally to those things that don't know Christ. See, what Jesus is calling people to here in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and what the call of discipleship is, is to follow him, to come to him. You know, we're going to celebrate the resurrection in a couple weeks, and one of the reasons the resurrection is so significant is when we are calling people to be disciples, we are calling them to, to come to, to a relationship, a, un, a new union with the living and ascended Christ. We are not presenting Jesus in an abstract sort of way. We are saying that this Christ reigns. He is at the right hand of the Father, and I am calling you as his ambassador on earth to come to him, to swear allegiance to Jesus alone. All I have is Christ, to use the language of the, the hymn that we, we sung, right? We're not just presenting Jesus in abstract terms. We're not just saying, yes, believe this, 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 and this, and you're good to go. No, your whole life must be about Christ. You need to come to Jesus and what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that you need to recognize that you are a sinner under God's judgment and that Christ is the only one who has paid the sin debt for those who would entrust themselves to him. And he alone can give the righteous standing that's required to stand righteously before God. So when we, we are making disciples, when we're evangelizing others, we are saying, you are a sinner, you are under God's judgment, you need to repent, but you need to entrust yourself to the one mediator between God and man, the living and ascended, uh, the, the resurrected Christ who is at the right hand of God. We're calling them to come to him, to follow him. 
That's what it means in, as in, in a nutshell way to be a disciple, to be a follower and a learner of Christ. Now, there are these other words here in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And this going sort of language, it's really a prerequisite. Uh, the idea is that uh, you can only make disciples where there's not currently disciples, right? Um, at least in an initial sort of way. So what do you need to do? Well, there's a prerequisite to fulfilling the command to make disciples. You need to go. You need to go. And so what we think of, you know, in our minds initially is, yeah, we need to uh, do overseas missions, frontier missions, and support missionaries. And we need to do that. That is essential to fulfilling the Great Commission. But let me kind of phrase this another way. Going is wherever there's not currently a disciple, you need to go there and make a disciple. And if you start to think about it, then really uh, where we are, where God has sovereignly placed us in life, uh, in our work, in our school, in our retirement, whatever that looks like, where God has sovereignly placed us in life, there are people around us who are not currently disciples, who are not currently followers and learners of Christ. So going, going doesn't just mean overseas, although it definitely includes that, right? But it also means where you're at, where God has sovereignly placed you in life. You are there as a disciple to make disciples. Then we get these other terms. So go make disciples of all nations. You might ask the question, and this is the question the grammar is asking here. How do you do that? How do you make disciples? Okay, a disciple is a follower and learner of Christ. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus gives two ways. How do, you, how do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about baptism last week a little bit, right? We said baptism is that, that picture, it's that Old Testament picture of ordination, of being brought into the priesthood, of being brought into the local priesthood, the local temple. It's that cleansing that we have received through Christ. So one becomes a disciple of Christ and trusts themselves to Christ and they identify with him publicly uh, in the waters of baptism. The individual swears allegiance to Christ in the waters of baptism, but then also the church, the community of disciples, uh, affirms by all that they can see this one is a disciple of Christ. And the idea of baptizing here, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's identification, right? Uh, the idea is initially the disciple is, is publicly portraying his change of allegiance and being brought into the family, the, the family of the triune God, the, uh, the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's that initial step of discipleship. You, you can't claim to follow Christ and not be baptized. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because he himself gave the command to be baptized, to identify with him in, in the, his community of faith in the waters of baptism. So that's the first way. How do you make a disciple? Uh, you, you baptize them, right? That includes evangelism. So when you're evangelizing someone and you're saying, come to Christ, entrust yourself to Christ, and then they do, and they repent, you also need to make it clear, you need to identify with him publicly in the waters of baptism and identify with the local church. But then the second way that you make disciples is the second word, beginning of verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how do you make disciples? First, and initially, by baptizing by baptizing, which includes evangelizing, uh, proclaiming Christ. It, baptism means nothing if there's no faith and repentance, right? But, but after that, you baptize, and then teaching, 
teaching, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the life of a disciple. It's, it's an ongoing thing. When someone is new to the faith, we, uh, we, we believe in follow-up in the sense that we're, we're wanting that person to come into the community of faith and to know and to learn Christ. Remember, a disciple is a learner and a follower of Christ. There needs to be teaching, to instruction. What does it look like to live the life of a Christian? What is, and here Jesus says, all that I have commanded you. And in the context of Matthew, he's thinking all those teaching portions, like those long teaching sections in Matthew where he's instructing his disciples, right? That's the basis, uh, the basics of, okay, what does it mean to live the life of a disciple? What does it mean to know and to follow Christ? And then Jesus, after giving this command, what do you do? You make disciples. What's the prerequisite? Going. What's the, the first step? Baptizing. And what's the ongoing reality of disciple, uh, discipleship? Teaching. Teaching all that you've commanded, right? And then at the end of verse 20, he gives an assurance, right? He, he motivated this by saying, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I have the resources. I have the right to give you this commission, but then he also, at the end of verse 20, gives assurance in this mission. It's a pretty tall order. Make disciples of all nations. All nations. Still not done. It's still ongoing, right? That's a tall order. Well, what's the assurance? The end of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always. Literally, it's in the Greek, it's every day. Behold, I'm with you every day to the close of the age. Until Jesus comes back. For his people, this is the mission of the church, and he's with us. He's not an absentee commander leaving us to, to fend for ourselves. No, he is with us through his spirit in the church to be able to complete this mission. So our mission is to make disciples. You might say, okay, what does it look like to make disciples? What does it actually look like to practically to, uh, to do what's being called to do here? Well, you can think about it in two ways, right? You can think about it as externally making disciples, and we've talked a little bit about that, right? You, have, you in the place that God has sovereignly placed you in life, there are people around you who do not know Christ, who are not following him. And you are called to speak to those people about Christ, to proclaim the truth about Christ, to, 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 to listen to where they're at, right? They live in a fallen world without hope, and you, you, you have the truth to be able to address the issues of life where they're struggling and to speak of Christ, to speak of the gospel, to, to tell them, yes, you're a sinner under God's wrath, and yet there is good news that if you come to Christ, if you entrust yourself to him, if you swear allegiance to Christ, you will be his disciple, you will know him, and you will be satisfied him in him as the greatest treasure of your soul. But there's, all, there's the evangelism component, but there's also the inside the church making of disciples. You see, being a follower and learner of Christ, there's, it's an ongoing reality. We continually need to know and to learn Christ, to know him. Not in an, in a, just an intellectual way. We do need to know facts, but we can't stop there, right? We need to have those facts translate so that we know Christ better, the living Christ. We don't think of Christ in the abstract. He lives, he is ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father. We are in union with him as his disciples, as Christians, and we need to know him more and more. Inside the church, what, what does this practically look like to help make disciples? Well, it looks like this. Let's boil it down really, really succinctly. You know things 
that someone else in this church doesn't know as far as following and knowing and learning Christ. You need to pass that on to them. That's it. Uh, it's not anything fancy or, or it feels really mundane, but you know things that someone else doesn't know about following Christ and you talk to that person, you say, hey, let me talk to you about what I learned in the scriptures this week. Or, hey, let me, uh, I, I know you don't know how to do this. Let me tell you what my experience is, what I know about following Christ in that area. Or maybe on the flip side of that, you're someone you re- recognize, yeah, I know I'm a disciple, but I don't know how to pray well. I don't know how to evangelize well. I don't know my Old Testament well. Well, then what do you do? You go find someone who does know and you learn from them. That's discipleship. It's not anything fancy in a sense, right? It's it's speaking the truth to one another. It's speaking the truth to one another about what does it mean to follow Christ. And particularly in the New Testament, there is a commission given to older men to invest in younger men. The reality is that older men in the church, right, who have walked with Christ for a number of years, they know a lot. Right? Older guys in the church who have walked with Christ for a number of years, you guys know a fair amount. And there's a charge to you to find a younger man or a younger Christian who does not know Christ as well, who's, who's learning and growing, and to pass that on, to pass on the baton of what you know. On the flip side, if you're a younger man and you don't know, well, I, there's a lot of things I don't know, right? As a younger man, you don't know a lot, right? And so you go find an older man and you say, hey, will you meet with me? And will you help me grow as a Christian? That's discipleship. That's, that's all it is. It's not that fancy, right? It feels pretty mundane. And yet that's how what we are called to do inside the church in that reality of making disciples. Same thing with the older women and the younger women. Older women, you know a lot. I, I know you folks know a lot in the, in the church, right? So how, who, are, who is the young woman you are passing that along to? That's discipleship of teaching them. What does it look like as a Christian woman uh, to honor Christ with my life? That is discipleship. Younger women, you don't know a lot, uh, but you can look at, uh, search out an older woman who does know a lot and learn and say, hey, can you teach me about this? Can you teach me what it looks like to be a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother? Can I learn that from you? And that's all it takes, right? It happens, and it, it's not like it happens necessarily in a special context, right? It happens right after we break uh, uh, from our sermon on the Sunday morning, right? You guys are all talking to each other, right? Discipleship is happening if you're ministering the truth to one another. You're teaching one another. You're encouraging one another in how to grow as a disciple, how to learn Christ, to follow Christ better. And we're all, all of us are commissioned to that. So are you not only learning more about Christ? There is a call to learn here, and there's a call to pass it on. There should be inflow and outflow. You can always ask that question of yourself. Is there inflow in my life, and is there outflow? Both need to be happening. You can't just be a sponge continually soaking up. God is calling you. Christ is calling you to pass that along. And you're reliant not on yourself and on your wisdom. You you might think, well, that's intimidating. I don't know how to do that. I'm not a good teacher you're not the one that's causing the growth. You're just the messenger passing that along, and it's Christ, the the one who is with you all the days until the close of the age, who's causing the growth of his church. So in answering this question, what is the mission of the church? We make disciples. That's what we do. That's it. 
We make disciples by baptizing and by teaching. That is what we do. Everything that we do at an individual level and at a corporate level should connect back to one of those two things, right? Every way you serve in the local church should connect back to making disciples through either baptizing or teaching. But secondly, what is the mission of the church? Let's look at the same thing. So we're looking at the same reality, but we're going to look at it from a different passage and a different angle, right? So it's really the same answer, but it's just phrased in, uh, in a different way. What is the mission of the church? Minister body growth. That's the charge to me and to you and to all of us, minister body growth. Go back to Ephesians 4, where we did our scripture reading. And in the context of Ephesians, Paul really spends the first three chapters um, unpacking what is the calling to which Christ has called you? What has he called you to, right? So he has these glorious realities of being, uh, being elected by the Father, being redeemed by the Son, being sealed by the Spirit in chapter 1. And then he keeps talking about, he talks about uh, in Ephesians 2 of being brought together as that temple uh, Together, So he's talking about this calling that you have as a Christian, both individually and collectively. And then in chapter 4, he turns a corner and he says, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And he starts, he starts by identifying that you are brought into a body, you are brought into a local church, and you are brought into the universal church, and there's to be unity there. But then he immediately springboards and says, but even though we're unified, we're one body, there's one baptism, one Lord, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ, when he ascended into heaven, gave gifts through his Holy Spirit to his people to minister to the body. And so he starts describing that reality of, okay, what does it look like to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called? Well, let's start with gifts and how the body functions internally. How does it function internally? And we pick up in verse 11, and it says this. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, who are these folks? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists? Well, let's turn back just to Ephesians 2 briefly. The end of Ephesians 2, where, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, about the reality of the church being the temple. And in Ephesians 2, in Ephesians 2 he talks about how Jew and Gentile, irregardless of national or cultural or any background, they're brought into one body, one temple in Christ. And he says this at the end of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that's the imagery we've talked about all the time. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. The apostles and New Testament prophets are the foundation of the church, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we've got this temple. The foundation is of the apostles and prophets. The apostles and New Testament prophets is the idea. And why is that? Well, 
Uh, think of the apostles and New Testament prophets. They're given revelation from God uh, as part of this new structure, the church that's being built, right? The church is a new thing. We talked about it starting on the day of Pentecost. And the apostles and New Testament prophets were given revelation that we still benefit from today in this, the word, the New Testament. Apostles like Paul or John and New Testament prophets like Mark or Luke, right, were benefit from their revelation given to the church. That's the foundational layer from which we learn and grow, right? So that's some of the list in Ephesians 4.11, the apostles and prophets. And then you have the evangelists, Evangelists, guys like Philip, who are going around the country and they're speaking the gospel wherever they are and gathering converts into the local church. And then the shepherds and the teachers, that's the elders of the local church. That's me and Steve and Andre and Jim, the, the, the shepherds and teachers of the church. Notice that all of these, these offices, these gifts, these are the gifts, right? It's interesting. It says that Christ gave gifts to his church. And what's the very first thing that Paul says? He says, he gave people. He gave people. He gave the apostles. He gave New Testament prophets. He gave uh, the, the evangelists and he gave elders for the church. So the, the gifts, the initial gifts of the church are, are these people. And notice each one of these are involved in word ministry, right? The apostles in New Testament prophets, they received revelation, and then they spoke that revelation for the good of the church. The evangelists, right? What are they doing? They're, they're speaking the truth of the gospel to those who don't know the gospel, and those people are brought into the church. That's how the temple gets built up. And then the shepherds and teachers, right? The, the idea is that the elder and the, the pastor, the overseer, uh, they speak God's word. They preach God's word, right? It's all word ministry. Why is it all word ministry? Because Christ builds his church through the word. Christ builds his church through the word. You think of all of scripture and how powerful God's word is. God's word is the thing that caused everything to exist. He said, let there be light. And it was because his word was powerful, right? Christ is the word, right? And he, he's the foundation, the cornerstone of his church. God builds the church through his word. That's why all of these folks are focused on word ministry. This is why we preach every Sunday morning, every gathering. Even, uh, we, we open up the scriptures. Look at 1 Timothy 4.13. Near the end of Paul's ministry, he's passing on the baton to the next generation. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, right? So first and foremost, what are you to do, Timothy? Read the Scriptures, teach and exhort. 2 Timothy 4, uh, actually 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16, familiar verses. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, which is kind of a technical term talking about uh, the man of God in the Old Testament was the prophet, right? The man of God, the, the, the one appointed by God to speak, that the man of God may be a complete, equipped for every good work. 
Then what's he say? I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's part of what it means Back in Ephesians 4.11, for a shepherd and a teacher, you're speaking the word because the word is what is profitable for building up the body. It's through the, the word that Christ builds his church. But notice in Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. These gifts, these word uh, ministry gifts are given to the church to do what? To equip the saints. To equip the saints. It's the idea of of giving uh, someone all that they need to do the task that's called for them. So who are the ministers of the church? It's you all. You're the ministers of the church. I'm a minister of the church who, who speaks the word on Sunday morning and who, uh, who prays and who, who, who labors in a number of different ways to equip you and the rest of the elders along with me to equip you to do what? To do the work of ministry. You are the ministers of the church. And what is the work of ministry? Notice here, for building up the body of Christ. The work of ministry is building up the body of Christ. And you can think of that in a couple of different ways. Think of that temple imagery, right? Um, building up the body of Christ, that could happen externally, right? Someone who's not currently saved, right? You're speaking the truth. You're speaking the word of God to them. You're evangelizing them, right? And at, when they're saved, you're brought into the church. The, the body is built up in that way. But then building up the body is also, uh, is also internal. It's also internal as the members speak truth to one another. Let's keep reading. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we, till when? What's the goal? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The aim is maturity. It's the same aim that we talked about with discipleship. What is a disciple? A, no, a follower, a knower, and a learner of Christ. Well, what's the goal here? It's the same goal, right? Uh, to know not just facts, although as necessary as that is, to know the faith, and the, but it's to know a person. The knowledge of the Son of God. Not just to know him in an intellectual way, but to know him in a relational way and to have your life com, uh, increasingly conformed to Christ. To maturity. And this isn't just individual maturity, right? Did you notice here, he's not talking about just individuals growing in maturity. He's talking about the whole body growing in maturity, which means what? Well, if you're a mature believer, but there's someone else that's immature in the body, then it's your responsibility to come alongside them and help them grow in maturity. We want all of us together to grow in maturity to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. For what purpose? Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. 
then as now, right? There's, there's deceit, right? There's, we're still talking about word ministry here, right? Like there's a lot of falsehood out there. There's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of cunning. Uh, you've got a lot of charlatans even with it, claiming under the name of Christianity, uh, to, to, but they're speaking twisted things and they're, they're taking those who are immature and they're, 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 they're being tossed to and fro by every wave. It'd be like me. I'm not a sailor or anything. It'd be like me just going out there without any instruction on the Columbia when it's windy, right? I'm going to get tossed all over the place. I'm going to get tossed all to and fro. I'm going to get killed, right? But, but this equipping that's happening from the leaders to the church the whole church, the reason that happens is to fight against error. And it's not just um, error under the name of Christianity. There's a lot of error and cunning and deceit in the whole world, right? There's, there's so many messages that come and bombard us and are trying to drag us away from Christ or, or fix our attention on something else. But this equipping, this growing up, this maturing in the body is so that we don't get tossed to and fro by these things. What's the remedy? If there's a lot of deceit, if, if there's a lot of, uh, of error out there that's going to push us around, what's the solution? Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And you notice there, the, the, who's speaking the truth? It's not just the folks in uh, 411, it's the whole body. It's the whole body. We all, right? Uh, it's, it's the whole body speaking the truth in love. That's the means, that's the way that we grow. Like we said, Christ builds his church. He builds his body through his word. That's not just the Sunday morning sermon. That's not just your Bible studies. That's what happens after the sermon and after the Bible study is done, it's when you go up and, uh, and you know, I go up and talk to Steve and say, hey, Steve, I'm learning this thing in the Word. Uh, isn't this encouraging? Did you know about this? Right? And he says things to me, right? That's speaking the truth in love, and that's how Christ builds his church. It happens through uh, preaching ministry. It happens through that, that sort of formal side that is necessary, needs to happen. But when that Word goes out, you're to, be receive, you're to receive it, you're to be equipped by it, and then you're to speak the truth to one another. It's what happens after that Sunday morning sermon, right? When you're talking to each other, you should be taking the truths that you just heard and ministering them to one another because that's how Christ builds his church, and that's how we guard ourselves from error and false doctrine and being tossed to and fro. We, we, have, we are all involved in word ministry. We are all involved in word ministry. Rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you notice in the, those verses, who builds the body? The body builds the body. Isn't that interesting, right? The makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the body grow? The body builds the body. Now, the ultimate source of that, the ultimate source of that is Christ as he energizes his body through the Holy Spirit and as he nourishes his body. But the body builds the body. How does the body build the body? By speaking the truth in love together. And that's part of our mission, right? What is the mission of the church? 
One way you could describe it, making disciples, right? Making disciples, making followers and learners of Christ. Another way you could frame it is what we just saw in Ephesians 4, minister body growth. You are the ministers of this church. You are the ministers of this church, and your mission is to make disciples, to make followers and learners of Christ, Or another way to say that, your mission is to minister body growth, to help each other grow in maturity as as individuals and as a whole church into maturity in Christ. And don't miss this, right? The focus is Christ himself. The focus is a person. We love Christ. If you find yourself just knowing more facts, and not knowing Christ better, right? There's a lot of difference between me uh, knowing facts about Ashley and me knowing Ashley, isn't there? We know that. We know that's true. All of this, making disciples and ministering body growth, it's about so that we know Christ because we are most satisfied when we know Christ himself. In that relationship that he himself has initiated, he's purchased by his blood, it's all about knowing Christ and helping others who don't know yet, yet know Christ to know Christ, making disciples and ministering body growth. And here's another thing. As we think about application of this, don't miss what is ministry. Ministry is building up the body by speaking truth, right? That's ministry. We often think in the church that ministry is being a part of women's ministry or men's ministry or children's ministry, right? That's my ministry. That's how we think, right? That's, that's how I thought in the past, right? Well, I'm a part of this ministry, this formal kind of silo ministry, therefore I'm ministering. Well, maybe, right? Those are good things. Don't mishear me, right? Those are very good things, but it's very organic. Ministry is organic, right? It's speaking the truth to one another. That can happen a lot of different ways. It can look like talking after a sermon with one another for two, two minutes. That can be ministry, right? It can be uh, praying for a brother or sister in Christ during the week. It can be texting encouragement, right? That is ministry. Ministry is building up the body through speaking the truth to one another in a variety of levels and in a variety of contexts. So, What's the question? The natural question is, who are you speaking truth to in this local body? Who are you speaking truth to in your, this local body? You are a minister. Who are you speaking truth to in this local body? And again, there's that charge, right? That general pattern that the scripture gives, older men to younger men, older women to younger women. That's uh, often how that looks, right? That, that way of discipleship, of speaking the truth to one another, of passing on what you know to someone else who doesn't know, and of also seeking out what you, what you don't know from someone who does. And the reality is, this is so encouraging, right? You guys already do this. You do this in such uh, amazing ways after, after a sermon on Sunday, right? You're here for an hour after talking and speaking, and I'm sure you're speaking about a lot of different things, and yet I know a lot of that is speaking the truth to one another to build each other up. That is how the body is built. That is how the body is built, and it's so encouraging to see you do that. You love one another. It's very evident, and you speak truth to one another. And you want to continue to grow, right? Uh, you want to continue to, what's, what, what's the next thing I need to grow in so that I can be a better minister, to make, be a better disciple maker, to be a better minister of the body of Christ? And along with that, even like the end of Ephesians 4 says, you are given gifts, 
Each of you is given a gift. I know that from the New Testament. God says he gave each one of you a gift to minister to this local body. So how are you using the gifts that Christ has given you? The, the risen and ascended Christ has given you gifts to minister to the body, and we need you all. We need each joint. That's what Ephesians 4 talks about. Every joint, each part, working properly is how the body grows. We need each and every one of you ministering to this local body so that it grows. What are those gifts and are you using them? And again, it's not, a lot of times it looks organic, right? Like it doesn't necessarily mean, well, I'm going to be a part of this ministry or this ministry. Well, maybe, but it also may mean uh, there's a way I can serve another brother or sister in Christ. There's a way I can speak truth to someone else, or I have this particular weird gift that God can use in helping others in the body, ultimately to build it up in love. So what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church Make disciples, or another way to say that, minister body growth. And again, why does this, why does this matter? Because when there's a ray, a smorgasbord of good things we could do as a church, there's a lot of things we could do, right? There's, there's an option out there, and there's always voices clamoring, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, but what are our priorities? What are our priorities that the Lord himself has given to us, right? Christ himself has given us the mission. He's told us what it's supposed to look like. And so we sift through those. No, I'm not going to do this because that doesn't align with the mission. It's a good thing, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to spend time or money there because I need to focus on the mission of making disciples, of ministering body growth. It helps us understand how to prioritize our time, our money, our vision, and our direction. And maybe you're here today and you're not a disciple. You're not a follower, right? You're not part of the body. You're here. Maybe you're physically here sitting in the pew this morning, but you're, physically, you're not actually part of the body because you are not united with Christ by faith. Well, the call through Christ uh, of Christ to you is to come to him, to realize you, you are an enemy of Christ if you do not know him. If you've not entrusted yourself to him, then you're an enemy of Christ. You're under his judgment, and he, you will stand before him. Even if you, you don't know Christ at all, or you just know facts about Christ, right? If you don't know him, you will stand under his judgment unless you entrust yourself to him as the one mediator between God and man, as the one who has dealt with your sin, as the one who is your righteousness in your place, and trusting none of your works, but only trusting him alone. That's how you become his disciple, how you become part of his body, how you know him. So if you're here this morning and you don't know if you're a disciple or you, you have questions about that, come talk to me or Jim or uh, Andre or Steve, one of the elders. Come talk. If, if you're questioning about that, we would love to pray with you. Let's go ahead and pray now that the Lord would help us as we pursue this. Lord Jesus, you've given us this mission, and it is, it's a lot, uh, Lord, and it feels so daunting at times that it feels like, what can we possibly do? And yet, uh, what you want from us is faithfulness. What you want from us is faithfulness and in the ways that we can, in the ways that we're able to speak truth to one another in love. Lord, thank you for this body that does that so well, and pray that you would continue to amplify that, to grow it. Lord, and I pray that you would build your church. You promised you would do it. 
You are head of this church. You are the source and nourisher of this church through your word, through your spirit. Please build your church, build your people. Myself and Jim and Andre and Steve to equip this body for the work of ministry faithfully. Lord, we ask for grace to do that. We ask that you would do a great work, not for our, our sakes, but for your glory and for our us seeing your glory and us knowing you more. Lord Jesus, we want to know you more individually and together as a church. Help us to know and to love you. Thank you for this body. Thank you for these people. Help us to do this, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.